Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On today's show, we're joined by Katie Klingsporn. Katie is the managing editor of WyoFile, a nonprofit member-supported public interest news service that covers the people, places, and policy of Wyoming. We've done a number of these uh, previously, Tennessee, West Virginia, New Hampshire, among the states where we've tried to focus in on someone who works in covering the entirety of a state. Uh, and we're glad to have Katie. Katie, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Katie is a former newspaper writer and editor with about 15 years of experience. She's done a lot of freelance reporting about life in the West as well, and she is a self-described word geek. So can you tell us the story of your journalism path? Well, it started when I was quite young as a child. I decided I wanted to be a writer. As you mentioned, I've always loved words and language and reading and storytelling, and I joined my high school journalism club or the extracurricular that was the high school newspaper and uh, kind of figured at that point I wasn't totally sold on it but I was pragmatic and I kind of figured you know this is a good way to ensure that I can get paid to write and so I went to journalism school at the University of Montana and sure enough pretty soon realized I really loved learning about all the all the crash course kind of 101 learning you do every time you write a story. I loved interviewing people and spending time with them and learning their stories. And I also loved seeing my byline. It was so exciting that first time. And so after that, I got, I started applying for jobs right out of college. I worked at a daily in Northern California, which has actually since folded. And I spent about a year out there. I did not like the climate at all of Northern California. So then moved back to the Intermountain West and worked, got a job at the Daily Planet newspaper in Telluride, Colorado, and worked there for about nine years, including three years as editor. And then I decided I needed a change because Daily News is kind of soul-sucking, honestly. And so I started freelancing Ended up moving back to my hometown in Wyoming and began freelancing for this outfit, Wildfile, which I was just so pleased to find in Wyoming as a source of really good journalism in such a rural state. And that turned into the job as managing editor. And that's how I got to where I am today. I'm curious, uh, growing up in Wyoming, a politically conservative state, certainly noted for uh, its outdoors, among other thing, things, how did your upbringing impact I, and seeing the things around you impact your, your current work? Yeah, I, I think the best answer to that question is just that I was very much raised in a rural place, and that was my milieu. And... I think I decided instead of 
wanting to write about, you know, DC politics or cities or other places that I was most interested in trying to convey the complicated and nuanced, but also really interesting, I think, stories of the rural West. And so that was strengthened when, when I was writing down in Colorado, but, and then even more so here because it is very conservative and a lot of diverse beliefs compared to where I was in Colorado. And I, I still do, I think it's like even more interesting than ever and more important than ever to tell these stories in a fair way that explain to people like, wow, this issue is actually really complicated and interesting. And maybe it's not just right or wrong, black or white. You've written about your multiple sclerosis, uh, multiple sclerosis diagnosis, something that happened in 2015. Uh, we'll, we'll put an article in the show notes that references this because uh, you've written about it. How has that impacted your work? I think first and foremost, I think my work impacted my MS because, and I think this might be a good lesson to other hardworking journalists out there who never give themselves a break and just work constantly, which is what I did for several years in my 20s. And I was, I was chronically stressed out I'm trying to fill the maw of a daily newspaper. And I think that contributed to me getting ill. But then once I got diagnosed and was living with this chronic disease, which for those who don't know much about it, it's, it uh, takes many shapes, but it, it affects your brain functions is the short way to say it. And it forced me to slow down and it forced me to set limits and it forced me to really heed to those because if I don't these days, if I try to do the things that I did, like pull a, you know, 11 hour work day, not stop and not eat, my body just starts shutting down on me in like a very big, loud protest. So I think I've got, it's made me achieve kind of a more healthy balance between work and life. What was it like to write about it? Well, I, I wrote about it early on and it was pretty weird because it was very vulnerable, but I, at the same time, I've never been afraid to talk about it a lot. And, the, and multiple sclerosis has a history of being hidden because oftentimes people didn't want their insurance to know for a long time, for example, but that is crazy to me because it's such a big part of my life and it affects so much of my everything that it's, so I'm always very open with it, with people. So they can just get to know me better, but it was cathartic to write about. At the same time, there's a lot that's happened with my disease course since then that I haven't written about that I wonder if it's time to kind of go back to the drawing board and get the rest of it out, out there. Is that, does it uh, kind of help you cope with it to, to write about? Yeah. And I mean, the response I got when I wrote those stories about living with an, 
with MS, um, what it was overwhelming and mostly just people saying like, thank you. This is my story too. Not exactly, but I, I know exactly how you feel. I hear you. I like, thank you for basically the, the messages. I feel seen by your writing about your own experience. Certainly inspirational. And I appreciate uh, that you, uh, that you have been able to do that. I want to talk about YO file and what it, what it does and just write kind of a treetop view. What are the goals of that organization? I would say top line, our goal is to provide citizens of the state with the tools that they need to engage and live in this state with unbiased factual reporting. And, and we have an interesting model that I want to share with listeners in, in that we give our stuff away for free to not only the newspapers in Wyoming, there's a, an exchange called the Wyoming News Exchange, or to anybody else who wants it, they just need to give us proper credit and they can republish it. And that's a big part of what we do is we just want this this good journalism to get out there as much as possible. It certainly presents journalism as a public service by doing that. With Wyoming, what makes, I know I'm in Pennsylvania. And to me, when I think of Wyoming or some of the states that are intermountain, particularly Wyoming, I think of things like I started reading about on your site, grizzly bear hunting, national forests, poaching, things of that sort. What makes Wyoming different to cover uh, than most other states? Like I mentioned before, it's a singular place to cover. Some of the factors that contribute to that are, I think it's almost 50% of Wyoming is public land. So there's a lot of land management issues that happen. There's a lot of stuff that spills over with our wildlife and that shapes the this sort of passion for public lands and places shapes a lot of people's personalities. Another thing that makes us unique is that Wyoming is the least populated state in the union. We have about 600,000 people, but we're huge. So it's this really big unpeopled landscape. And we also have a whole lot of wildlife. And as you mentioned, hunting. So hunting here is very much a way of life that people care a lot about. And they also care a lot about the issues that affect wildlife and those public lands or wild places where they go to hunt mostly, but also just to recreate in general. It's also, as you mentioned earlier, very conservative. I think it was 2020 where 70% of the population voted for it. Trump carried more, a higher percentage of state voters here than anywhere else. And so there is a a very popular notions of politics or stances are having to do with, you know, no taxes, don't raise any taxes, but also just with small government in general. And 
you know, that the no taxes thing also attracts some very wealthy people here, which gives it this other weird mix where the most of the state is blue collar sort of living it, scratching out a lifestyle on the prairie or in the mountains, high desert. And then there are a lot of billionaires in Jackson. And as you mentioned, we have some iconic national parks, which also help shape it. So those are a few of the things that make Wyoming, Wyoming. People, places, and policy is the theme of, of your organization. And there's plenty of <laughs> intersection there, just among all the different things that you mentioned. Let me start with, with politics. How much do you have to deal with media dis- distrust in the work that you guys are doing? Quite a bit. Actually, there I wrote about, there was a project done by... Pointer Institute, I believe it was, looking at media distrust, and they chose to come to Casper, Wyoming, to 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 do the project and put a man on the ground here. He was a veteran journalist and professor, because it was considered like kind of ground zero for media distrust. You know, we do get called a liberal rag. And I think that that comes from people who don't really sit down and read our stuff. We also get shout outs from unexpected places, you know, a really prominent podcast. He, he runs a podcast about hunting, but he's conservative. And he was like, you know, wildfowl is where they have the best wildlife news. And we feel like if people read us, they would see that because we really really care about fairness and nuance and do our best to give all sides a fair shake. We also feel like within state government figures, conservative or liberal, they call us back. And that includes a lot of conservative politicians because they know we're going to give them a fair shake, you know, in that sort of black and white world of where context is collapsed on social media, we do get, we do get called liberal, right? Fair bit. It's interesting that you said that politicians from both sides do call you back. We did an interview with an editor in Tennessee who said that they absolutely couldn't get any Republican uh, politicians to contact them because of the perception of what their, what their publication was statewide in terms of the governor and the state legislature and kind of that on down those people are really responsive we do struggle with our um, dc delegation that is liz cheney john barrasso and cynthia lummis and we're we're constantly shipping away trying to work on that we're actually trying to get cheney right now we don't have 100% batting average by any means. I'm curious, what are the demographics of your readership? So we don't have a really complicated breakdown of who our readers are. So we we sort of have more of a rough sketch. We know that for the most part, they're, they're older. And we believe that many of them are retired and thus have time to read the kind of long form pieces that we run. 
and we have a small group of dedicated readers who we know will like comment on almost every story and then we have an our newsletter subscribers are about 12,000 and we've grown a lot over the last three years. All right. So that, that, that's, that's interesting with regards to people, Wyoming demographically based on what I read is 1% black. How did your outlet cover George Floyd and the black lives matter movement? What we did is even though we, we are, do, do have a tiny black population the, in towns all over the state, rallies and protests unfolded. That's everywhere from Casper to Cody, Riverton. And in Laramie, the protests, the George Floyd Black Lives Matter protests, persisted every night for, I think, more than six weeks. And so we did some coverage of the sort of reckoning that was going on. We had one of our reporters do a really, really fascinating feature about sort of the anatomy of a protest movement, what they were angling for, you know, what their goals were for, if that was feasible, and also some detractors. You know, he talked to some of the folks who showed up to counter protest. And there was a quite a lot of that here across the state of Wyoming, the counter protesters and looked at sort of the long term, which basically they wanted a citizen oversight board of the police department in Laramie. And so even though it was fairly minor here, we actually did some really, I think, fascinating coverage of it from the lens of a rural Western town. Who were the the people that were protesting? Was it largely younger students? Yeah. Laramie is the university town here. So it was mostly young, young people. Gotcha. What kind of coronavirus coverage have you done that stood out? Sure. Well, I, I think we've done a lot of this similar vein of coronavirus coverage as many other outlets, but we've also looked at the way that the pandemic was handled on the reservation, we have the Wind River Indian Reservation is right in the heart of Wyoming. It's huge. It encompasses two tribes and several small communities. And there were some really interesting things that happened on the reservation where they were actually ahead of, way ahead of the curve on testing than the rest of the state in the early stages, they offered free testing first. And I think they've had it offered free testing throughout. And they also were took higher than average precautions in the schooling thing. There were the strongest health orders in the state were on the reservation. And despite all this, the reservation community was hit very hard several deaths, including several families with multiple deaths. And so I think their proactive approach probably curtailed even worse outcomes for their communities. I want to touch on another thing that your uh, organization has. Your columnist, uh, Kerry Drake, reading him, I, I found it 
it, it was it was really interesting to just read like a, a fairly nuanced perspective. He was certainly he's extremely well informed. It seemed on everything that he was writing about. I I read the one piece on his proposal to eliminate Wyoming homelessness. What does he bring to the table? Well, he brings a lot to the table. So Carrie is a veteran Wyoming journalist. He he covered politics for the Casper Star Tribune back when the Casper Star Tribune had like bureaus and I think a staff of like 40 on its editorial team, which is it's much smaller now. So he has tons of experience and he also has tons of institutional knowledge. Like I call him and say, what, can you give me the context of whatever issue? And he can give me 40 years of context of it. He remembers all the governors who tried to deal with economic diversification, et cetera. He's also, boy, committed to and able to write a column a week. And I would say our one drawback with Kerry is that he is a liberal columnist and that the, the frequency with which he runs, I think contributes to the outward perception that we're liberal. And we have really put a huge effort into finding a conservative counterpart. We would love to every week write, run a carry and then a, a whatever he's taking on yep. from the conservative side. But we have just not found that. And I think it's because it's it's actually really hard work to write about something intelligently. And it's also hard to do once a week. And you just have to find the right person. So if anybody is that person, please get a go to Wildfile and get in touch with me. Nice. He's he's a state historian, essentially, and and a writer at the same time. It, it was it was very interesting reading because as I said before, like I come from Pennsylvania, everything to me is like somewhat foreign about the state. I'm coming in with a completely blank slate and you can get very educated very quickly with him. I do want to uh, touch on something too that I, I, I presume you're quite proud of, the investigative work that your organization does. Can you tell us about the piece investigating whistleblowing and retaliation in the Wyoming National Guard? And that is, I would say that is, we pride ourselves on having the ability and resources to dig deep and uncover some um, unpleasant truths about the state and let our readers know what is really happening. So that story was months in the works, years actually. And it started with a woman who reached out to us and she's in the story. And she just said, look, this is going on. Nobody's writing about this is really bad. It was hard to report out for many reasons. The National Guard is military. There's a chain of command. It's hard to get people to talk about it freely without the proper um, clearance. And so we mostly only were able to go through a spokesperson. There's also a lot of military lingo that sources are so in that world that 
they really get bogged down in in the details of like the military ranking and all the systems and stuff and it's hard to simplify for readers and despite that we were able to get i think five whistleblowers on the record and interview them and corroborate everything they said through documentation they they had very extensive documentation and so what we did is published a a story an investigation looking into these allegations that the wyoming national guard which is under the purview of the governor has a toxic atmosphere sexual harassment and then retribution that was according to the whistleblowers and since then i'm happy to report that there's been extra scrutiny from the state legislature and it looks like there's going to be some legislation that is a direct result of those allegations. That's terrific. That, that's certainly uh, highly impactful. Are there any other things that your group has done recently that you're particularly proud of? Boy, everything. We recently wrote a story about corner crossing, which is a land access issue that's very specific to Wyoming and also with the hope that it moves the needle a little bit on this long-term issue that many people see as prohibitive uh, for people trying to access public lands. We have a new legislative team of three reporters. That's gonna be our new state house team and they are gearing up to cover the session we did a story this summer about allegations of massive fraud that rocked the Wyoming Catholic College. Really explosive story. It's pretty unbelievable. And yeah, just kind of every everything we do, I look back and I'm I'm proud of. And this month, our next guest, and actually our was it a previous guest, our previous guest or two guests ago, we had someone from Report for America. And I know that you have someone from Report for America working for you. Can you just explain what they do? Dustin Blyzeffer is our Report for America Corps member, and we are, I mean, Report for America does wonderful things, and they made his position possible, and he has really helped us expand our coverage. He's a veteran reporter, and he grew up in Wyoming. He actually worked in the coal industry before becoming a newspaper reporter in Gillette went on to the Casper Star Tribune, went on to like a night fellowship. And we were able to give him a really good job as an energy reporter for us, thanks to Report for America. Terrific. Uh, and just to round this out, I want to circle back to your writing. And I know that you've done a lot of writing on the outdoors, still do. And I read a piece about navigating the rapids of the Grand Canyon. That was one example. More recently, uh, a piece on the indigenous land, the Red Red Desert is another example. What's the appeal of outdoor writing and what makes for great outdoors reporting? I think it's been an evolution for me where at first I just personally love the outdoors. And so I, I was selfishly looking for a way to do what I loved and write about it. But, you know, as I have gotten older, the way I use outdoors has changed, but also the way 
the outdoors is used in general has changed. And I've seen all over the West, this, these conflicts arise between the explosion of outdoor recreation and resource damage. And I, it's so fascinating to me. So more recently, that's been my focus is these points of friction where places are getting loved to death. And I think, you know, what makes a good outdoor story is like anything else, you know, a good conflict or good tension, good, uh, good narrative to pull you along, but also I've, I'm very interested in strong language, strong verbs, colorful places, going all going back to that whole being a word geek thing. <laughs> it all comes full circle and certainly the photography too helps. Yeah. All right. Last question. Can you pick a journalist or journalism organization that you're not affiliated with that you would like to salute for their good work? I think that I would like to just put a shout out out to those kind of smaller unsung heroes out there in Wyoming. You know, that is like the Riverton Ranger and the Buffalo Bulletin and the Sheridan Press. I'm just doing that really important work of covering their hometowns in an ex- as extensive way as, as possible with their small staff and small resources. But I also uh, admire the work done by fellow nonprofit news uh, sites like Montana Free Press and the Colorado Sun, which are, I think, both a little bigger than us, but we're, we're, we're trying to contend with them. Nice. Uh, Katie Klingsporn, thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck with uh, Wyofile. Thank you so much. Wyofile.com. Check it out, everybody. Wyofile is an independent, member-supported, public interest news service reporting on the people, places, and policy of Wyoming. Wyofile's mission is to inform and engage Wyoming through in-depth reporting in the public interest. Wyoming deserves the facts and a sustainable means of maintaining everyone's access to them. Wyofile exists to provide both. You can find us at wyofile, W-Y-O-F-I-L-E dot com. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.